you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world. Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. My guest today is famed Iditarod trail dog musher Peter Reuter. Now, Peter hails from New York's Adirondack Mountains, where he lived until he finished college at Paul Smith's College with a degree in forestry. He began mushing in 1980 with a recreational team of Malamutes and started giving sled dog tours in the early 1900s with Thunder Mountain sled dogs in the Adirondacks. He's been in Alaska full-time since 2012 when he came to guide and race dogs. Now, he joins us today to discuss how he's managing the growing controversy around safety, how to make money as a dog musher, and the business lessons from one of the toughest races in the world. Welcome, Peter. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, Peter, first question that I've got to ask you, you know, you and I met this summer when I happened to be up in Alaska for the Anchorage Economic Development Conference where I gave a speech and then I took a couple days off. I went up to the Punchbowl Glacier and then I met you. And I got to tell you, it was one of the most enjoyable days of my entire trip of spending some time, although I like the fishing and the other stuff. But it was just fun to talk to you because you're a very eclectic guy. So first thing, you you came from New York. How the hell did you get to Alaska? Well, I grew up in suburban western New York, just outside of Buffalo. But I like to say that I was born with a hillbilly heart. (laughs) So even though I grew up in the suburbs... I always had a predisposition towards the woods, and I was just really lucky. And then my parents encouraged me to join the Boy Scouts at a young age. Mm -hmm. And I started with Cub Scouts and worked my way right up through, attained the rank of Eagle Scouts, something I'm actually really still proud of. When I graduated from high school, I attended a small private forestry school in upstate New York, Paul Smith's College. And that just kind of kept my direction going. From there, I graduated from Paul Smith's, moved out to Crested Butte, Colorado, which is where I had my first experience with sled dogs. And mm-hmm. I met a gentleman who actually worked with Alaskan Malamutes, big, heavy freighting dogs, just gorgeous dogs. And that was back in the early 80s. And that basically just one thing led to another. I developed and started building my own dog team in the Adirondacks, started giving tours in the Adirondacks and Lake Placid back in the early 90s for a friend of mine. And then in the mid-90s, went up to Alaska. And once I once I got to Alaska, it was it was game over, basically. Yeah. I, I think I, I found where I, where I belonged. Yeah, but both. Uh, it's interesting you say you're kind of um, a wandering uh, hillbilly because you also play some bluegrass. I, I I picked that up in your bio. You, you, what do you play on the bluegrass side? I'm primarily a guitar player. My wife yeah. actually is a pretty accomplished mandolin player, and because bluegrass is, I like to call it folk music because you play it with other people. Yeah. So we have. 
an upright bass, a banjo. We have all these instruments lying around in case someone else can play them. Uh, I like to pick them up on occasion and just kind of tinker with them, but, but primarily guitar. Yeah, that's cool. So talk to me about the dog mushing business. It, is it a business? I mean, how do you make money as a musher and how do companies make money? Like every other industry, there's there's all different levels of dog mushing from a recreational musher who might just have two or three dogs that they hook up to their sled, go out on weekends, run a couple miles. There's, and, and this is not just Alaska, but this is throughout the entire northern United States, Scandinavian countries, Germany, Switzerland. Basically, anywhere there's snow, you're going to have dog mushers. Mm-hmm. Not just snow. Down in Australia and New Zealand, they have what they call dryland mushing. So they have cart races and wheeled rig races, things like that. Now, there's, you know, a three dog team all the way up to kennels that have multiple dogs, multiple people working for them. As far as racing goes, and I'm, I'm primarily a dog racer, mm-hmm. it's hard to make money at. I will, I will say that. It's, yeah. We're one of the only professional sports, I think, where we pay for the honor of working in the sport. Yeah. Um, it costs roughly $1,000 per dog per year just to feed them the quality food that our dogs demand. Now, I'm lucky in that I've been giving tours for years, and I give tours for other folks. In the summertime, I met you on the Punchbowl Glacier. Yep. I work for the CV, I work for the CV family, and the CVs, they're in their third generation of mushing now. Dan CV Sr. was one of the founders of the Iditarod back in the early 70s. And his son, Mitch, is my boss in the summertime. He's won two Iditarods. Mitch's son, Dallas, is the current, the reigning Iditarod champion. He's won four of them. So the CVs are astute businessmen, and they've actually developed really quite a nice tour operation. And the tours complement the racing. And that's, you know, for, for the people with the infrastructure to actually pull it off, that's a great way to actually kind of support your racing is by giving tours with the dogs in the summertime. Now, the dogs are workaholics. They yeah. love their jobs. So I mean, they, the go, they, go cra- they go crazy. I mean, the, the second they see you coming out, they know that you're going to be running. I mean, just to give everybody a, a, just a background, I went up to the Punchbowl Glacier. I drove down from Anchorage um, and went to, over to Alpine Air, Alaska. I, I grabbed... Uh, which they were, they, I mean, unbelievable operation, jumped on one of their helicopters, flew up op- over the mountain into this glacier, greeted by Peter. You know, he was there waiting for us. He's making sure I'm bending over so I don't get my head chopped off. And then they take off and they leave us there for a couple hours. And and we just start talking about the dogs and we go on a, we go on a little bit of a run, and of which is your summertime training camp, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, summertime is kind of warm for these dogs. I will say 
that there's 40,000 years of genetic programming, actually, that goes into the very moment that we hook the dogs up and get them to pull. The very first, as far as archaeologists know, the very first dogs on the planet, Siberians were the ones that took a wolf and turned him into a dog. And the archaeological record shows that it happened about forty to 50,000 years ago. So this is, as far as I can figure out, this is a direct link to perhaps the first domesticated animal on the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, very real and tangible thing. And you can tell that the dogs are completely invested in their jobs. Well, I want to come back to this because that's one of the most fascinating thing I found um, was just in our discussions and talking was about the dogs themselves and and how much you love them and what, I know that's going to come through. And but let me take I got to take a break because I got I got to make money just like you you're trying to get money. And by the way, don't forget, folks. You know he's doing this on his own, so I want to make sure you get a chance uh, to get to know Peter and Peter Ruder and the whole team and what they're doing because you can help sponsor these guys, which we don't want to forget. So I don't think there's a Duncan on the Iditarod Trail, but for the rest of us, grabbing a cup of Duncan is a great way to keep warm in the winter. Plus, if you enroll in the DD uh, Perks program, you can start earning rewards for each purchase made. Now, just purchase a a Dunkin' Donuts card at any Dunkin' location online or via the Dunkin' mobile app. Then create an account, and you'll be eligible for all kinds of perks like a free beverage for every 200 points earned. Do you drink coffee, Peter? you got to drink coffee, don't you? I'm a prodigious coffee drinker. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you got to have that coffee. So let me get back to the dogs. When I think of uh, uh, this, is something that was new to me. Um, I, when I think of sled dogs, I think about like huskies, but I didn't. I don't think I saw any huskies that you were running. So what? What? When you you talk about this genetic side of the dogs, and you got these perfect running dogs today. Talk to me about that. These dogs are Huskies, but we call them Alaskan Huskies, okay. not Siberians. Now, Siberian Huskies are a purebred dog. They have their AKC, American Kennel Club, papers. Mm-hmm. These dogs are not paper dogs, so we like to say that they're not purebred dogs, but they're extremely well-bred dogs. And it's a very hardy genetic line. When you talk about genetics, there's something called hybrid vigor, and basically what that means is if you have a very diverse gene pool and the gene pool is constantly being rejuvenated, the dogs are much less susceptible to genetic issues, thyroid problems, hip problems, and that's exactly what we've got going on with our dogs. Now, Mm -hmm. we call them Alaskan Huskies. Basically pretty fancy name for a mixed bred dog. Now, their genetics do all go back to those northern bred dogs. The genetics started to get mixed up during the gold rush back in the late 1890s. Now, during the gold rush, people, there weren't enough big indigenous dogs to take care of all the work in the gold fields in Alaska and Canada. So people were importing dogs from the lower 48, mm-hmm. and their genetics got mixed in with these northern bred dogs, and basically just came up with a very hardy breed of dog. I was going to say, was that a good now, thing or a, it, a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it's a great thing, yeah. actually, especially for for what we're doing mm-hmm. now. Historically. The sled dogs that plied the trails up here, the the Goldfield Trails, Yukon, Alaska, 
big, strong, powerful. I like to compare him to, say, you know, an F-350 Super Duty with, you know, duties and a diesel. Mm -hmm. So a high-torque, low-speed dog. Now, with the mixing of the genetics, we've actually built a lot of speed into the breed also. So they've got that hardy northern genetics. They're very, very resistant to cold, really tough dogs. But we've also got some speed built in, and that comes from some hound dog and some other stuff that's actually been introduced from the lower 48. And they love to run. I mean, just flat out all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, one of the toughest things that we have to do is to dial back their enthusiasm a little bit and make sure that the dogs pace themselves. Well, and that's a big thing. So let's talk about the race itself. You got that coming up in March. So you're, it's taking you literally months and months and months to get ready for it. So talk to me about the race. It's a pretty long race. How, how long is it? It's a thousand mile race. Yeah. And takes you away, what, roughly how many from, days? How many days are you going to be running for that? Well, the first race was run in 1973. Mm-hmm. And the winner in 1973 finished in just over 20 days. Wow. Dallas City set the record last year at roughly eight days, 15 hours. Jeez. Wow. Now... Dallas has, you know, once you've reached that caliber, you really have your system dialed in. Your genetics are phenomenal. I'm working with great dogs this year. I will be, well, first I'll be thrilled to finish the race because there's been less than 800 people in history to actually finish the race. Mm -hmm. Be thrilled to finish the race. My target time somewhere around 11 days. Yeah. If I finish in 11 days, I would be ecstatic. And so the dropout rate's got to be... So how many normally enter a race? The race itself is capped at 100. Okay. Generally speaking, you're going to see anywhere from roughly 60 to 90 teams. If I'm not mistaken, there's just over 80 teams signed up for the race this year. Right. And so with that, how many dogs do you run? You can start with a maximum of 16 dogs. Mm -hmm. Back at the start of the race, back in the early 70s, there was no limit. You could have a big string of dogs if you want. Yeah. But 16 is actually a great number to be able to manage. Now, you can start with 16. There's roughly 20 checkpoints along the race route, and they range from roughly 30 miles apart to roughly 90 miles apart. And you can actually pull dogs out of your team, leave them at the checkpoint where veterinarians and dog handlers take great care of the dogs, and then you can continue on. Now, you can drop dogs, but you cannot add dogs. You can't add them, yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. When you get to know them, you have to have at least five dogs. Oh, wow. Which, which in itself says that's a that's a lot of attrition. But, but again, let's 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 reiterate because I've seen how you treat these dogs. You you're, and I'll talk. I'll say something about that in a minute. But but you take care of them. There's great conditions. So how do you manage conditions on the trails? Because a thousand miles in some of the just horrendous horrendous conditions. It really is because it's snow, um, and and wind and everything else. How do you manage? 
the well, I'm going to ask that question in a second. Let me take a break, come back and ask you this about this question. I think it's important and I want to spend enough time on it. So, hey guys, if you're looking for to own your own business, we're talking about the dog business right now with Peter, who's running the Iditarod coming up in March. So how do you run your own business? Talk with the folks at Liberty Tax Service. Liberty is named the best of the best, just like I'm talking to Peter, the best of the best. And we t- hear how tough it is to do this. And so is Liberty Tax and their financial services uh, have been rated by Entrepreneur Magazine. They provide solid and great support and a great structure for any small business owner. So take a look at Liberty. Love those guys. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. If you are loving this podcast, if you're loving this podcast, you, you should, should tell a friend, friend about it. it. Spread the word about podcasts you think they would enjoy. There's something for everyone from entertainment and lifestyle to news and politics to sports and more. Share it on social media. Tripod. Believe it or not, some people don't know how great podcasts are or even how to find and listen to them. You can help change that with a click. Tell your friends about your favorite podcast. And don't forget to tell us what you shared with the hashtag Tripod. T-R-Y-P-O-D. Tripod. Thanks for spreading the word. So, Peter, how do you manage the conditions on the trail for both yourself and the dogs? I think probably the most important or one of the most important aspects would be obviously pre-race conditioning. Now, the dogs have their summer job on the glacier. We're starting to train the dogs specifically for racing, as soon as it cools down. So we're starting to run dogs in race training in August, and we'll run them very early in the morning or in the evening when the temperature's below 50 degrees, something like that. Now, what we do is we start out, of course, very slowly. It's just like any sport. We're going to run them for a few miles, and then as the season progresses, and right now we're basically – we're entering our race season right now. Within the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to see races all over Alaska and Canada. As we get closer to race season, we're going to slowly ramp up the miles. So conditioning, pre-race conditioning, extremely important. Mm-hmm. Along with that, the nutrition for the dogs and feeding a sled dog. Now, when our dogs are working hard in the wintertime, they can consume over 15,000 calories of food in 24 hours wow, period that's a lot yeah they're metabolic monsters they really are so feeding a dog is both an art and a science and a great percentage of our attention as far as the dogs go making sure that they get the best food available yeah it's got to be now, high fat got to be a high then, fat though too right you got to be feeding them a lot of fat High fat, high protein. And, of course, we tailor the feeding depending on workload, temperature, environmental conditions, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so the race cost you, as I was reading, the race has got to cost you like twenty, thirty, maybe $40,000. Is it worth it to you? I've been thinking about running the Adidorot since I was 12 years old. So anything that's... Anything that's worth doing is is worth doing well, and yeah, absolutely. I guess the the short answer is absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's uh, and luckily I have I have a lot of help as far as 
I have friends who are much better at the business aspect than I am. I will say that. So my my expertise is in dogs and and wilderness travel. So I'm I'm lucky in that I do have a, a very good support network that kind of helps me through some of the some of the business things. Well, you got a good friend. I remember the the second I stepped off the air the 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 um, the helicopters, uh, one of your one of your good partners there at Alpine Air said, "Hey." You got to you got to do an interview. I know who you are. You got to do an interview with Peter, <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. So uh, it's yeah, good, it's good yep, to have absolutely. friends. My friend, yeah, my friend Glenda, and she's, yeah. I, we call her the Den Mother. So she takes great care of us. Oh, so. she was she was awesome, and she's also got another product too. She's got like some lip balm too, right? Because uh, my wife yeah, picked absolutely. up. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's really cool. It's, no, she's an extremely talented lady. Yeah. So she's a great seamstress. She does all sorts of good stuff. That's really cool. So let me. There, there's been a little controversy lately, and I, you know, not to get too controversial, but I want to talk about it. And there was a movie that came out, probably a, a more of a, I don't know, insider movie for not for the masses, but certainly it was called Sled Dogs, and I, I, I caught wind of it. A little controversial, and I thought it was a little bit unfair. What did you think of that movie that came out, uh, talking about the 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 business of sled dogs? Well, I haven't, I haven't seen the movie, John, okay. so it's hard to comment specifically on the movie. Now, the woman who produced the movie also had a website that came out in conjunction with the movie, mm-hmm. and I did have a chance to peruse her website, and I will say that She misrepresented her intentions, I believe. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, like anything, she, she came into it with an extreme bias, as far as I know, as far as I know. Now, I can say that I've been working with sled dogs pretty much my whole adult life. And if I didn't believe my dogs were completely invested in their jobs, ethically, morally, there's no way I can do what I do. Yeah. Every time I hook my dogs up, every time, and you, you got to witness it on the punch bowl. Every time we hook those guys up, they are just raring to go. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing feeling to watch these guys get prepped for that. Well, so. you know, Peter, I, I, I do a lot of hunting and I, and I work with a lot of dogs and I've owned a lot of dogs in my years. And just like I own horses and and cattle and everything else, but 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 let me just tell you about dogs. You know, a hunting dog, same thing. The second they see me go to grab a gun or we're going to hit the field, they go crazy. And because they get to do what they love to do, and of course I'm going to take care of them. And the other thing is that I and and whatever this this movie is about, it's, it seems to be unfair from what I can see. But um, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. But I also know when I saw you, and I saw you talk about those dogs, but more importantly, I saw you work with the dogs, you would basically kill me to protect those dogs. That's the impression I got. Yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no no offense to me, but, but it also says something about your feelings for those dogs. I mean, they're, they're more than just animals to you i mean they're they're like people right i mean i don't want to say people because they're dogs but but i mean it, there's an affinity for them that is very special i i really i got that from just getting to know you which says a lot about you by the way too oh thank you very much yeah 
You know, I don't think it matters whether it's a pet dog slash lap dog, a hunting dog, a sled dog. Pretty much anybody who has a close relationship with a dog knows that feeling. Yeah. Do you, you feel the same way about cats? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting question. Um, I like cats. Yeah. Now... I wasn't so sure about cats. I never had cats growing up, but I always had dogs. I've been lucky in that I have just had some, yeah, I've had some phenomenal cats. Now, I will say one thing. You cannot harness a cat. (laughs) (laughs) And from what I saw in one of the movies, you can't milk a cat either, from what I heard. I don't know. That's a different story. I wouldn't want to try. I wouldn't wouldn't want to try. Let me, I got to ask you another question. What, what do you, what are lessons that you've learned from dog mushing that you think you can apply to other parts of your life or maybe business people can learn? That's actually a great question. A lot. Yeah. I could talk about it for hours, actually. Well, let's let's now, talk about it for another seven or eight minutes. But, what, I mean, what what do you think? What I mean, what I, I got some things I think you can learn. What do you think? Well, let's let's talk about it from a from a, and I don't know much about this, but I've I, in my tenure as a guide, I've I've met some incredible people, CEOs of companies, et cetera, et cetera. Now, being a good dog musher is all about group management, mm-hmm. and just like people, dogs have their own unique personalities, their own skill sets tolerances, that sort of thing. And you really need to learn each dog on a very individual level. That way, you know. So the worst thing to do for a dog is to actually demand more than the dog can give you. Mm -hmm. It takes a certain degree of sensitivity. Now, that being said, some dogs are going to hold back a little bit, and it's up to you to bring out the best in the dog. So I do kind of equate myself to a group manager, that's CEO cool. maybe of a corporation. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and that's really that's really what it's about. It's about working with individual skill sets and bringing out the best in each dog. Do you, do you, what about loyalty? What do you learn about loyalty with a dog? Dogs are interesting. Now, one thing that I hear a lot of times is that dogs provide unconditional love. And I'm going to disagree with that. Yeah. I don't know much about business, but in macroeconomics, they told me the first law was there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> when I think about that as far as dogs go, I like to think that so the beauty of working with a team of dogs is it's a quid pro quo. The dogs give you what you give the dogs. If you hold back from the dogs, the dogs are going to hold back from you. Mm-hmm. So it's really about giving everything to the dogs. And it's, it's, I'd say it's, it's trust as much as loyalty, if that makes sense. No, I get and it. Once a dog, yeah. 
Yeah, once a dog learns to trust you, once a dog realizes that you have that dog's back, the dog is going to go to the ends of the earth for you. Now, it can be somewhat problematic at times. It's 50 below on the Iditarod, and we're kind of punching through, oh, let's say, you know, a foot of new snow. It's tough on the dogs, and it's tough on me. If I let the dogs know that it's starting to get to me, they're sensitive enough to pick up on that. So at that point in time, I step up in front of my dog team and I say, you know what? We're rock stars. And the dogs are like, you are absolutely right. And they respond very positively to that. So it's about, you know, you need to be able to step up in front of your team, prove to them you've got their back. And it's an amazing thing at so, that point. But how do you, so how do you communicate dog? I mean, how do you, how do you speak to them like that? Do you do you actually go up and stand in front of them, give them a little pep talk, or how how do you how do you communicate? Oh, absolutely. Now, dogs are very very intuitive. Yeah. Body language, tone of voice, my disposition, how I present myself to the dogs, all extremely important. If I need to really get my dog's attention. I do get right up in front of the team and I make sure that every dog in the team is looking at me and they will. They're very responsive that way. Hmm. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned from running dogs? Patience and sensitivity. I think really you have to be extremely patient to do what I do. Now they're dogs and they can throw curveballs at you. Right. So you just have to be ready for it, and you can't get flustered. Mm-hmm. So I've really learned. To, and so in some ways, you learn to tailor your emotional responses to your dog's needs. And, you know, it's, it's what you have to do to bring out the best in your dogs. Yeah. So how, how, are, you, how are you raising money to get, to get, get through to the race and then through the race itself? How are you doing it, Peter? Well, as I stated previously, I've got a lot of help from some very, very good people. Now, of course, social media is important. So for me, now I'm in Alaska and I don't have access to the Internet with any sort of regularity. But I will say social media is very important for me. Now, in addition to that, GoFundMe, you know, crowdsourcing type things. So I have a GoFundMe page. Uh, you, you need to get creative. Yeah. Um, I actually just put some merchandise up for sale. So. Oh well. Uh, Bark okay. Eater, yeah, Bark Eater Racing. Now I call my team Bark Eater, which is an ode to the Adirondacks. So as I stated, I'm from the Adirondack Mountains. Adirondack is an indigenous word, and basically. It's such a harsh environment in upstate New York that I believe it was the Mohawks used the word Adirondack to describe the Algonquins, and it means bark eater, mm. because they thought that in the long winter months, all they had available to eat was the bark of trees. Sure. So that's where Adirond- that's where the name Adirondack comes from. Yeah. So I called my team Bark Eater Racing, and we actually just, just today actually put up a put up a website with you know, T-shirts, hoodies, hats, that sort of thing, coffee mugs. It, it takes a diverse approach, actually. So GoFundMe, 
uh, Alpine Air. So sponsorship is huge. Yeah, for those guys have been. And great I will fun. say that oh, Alpine Air has been so good to me, and you know they're really the ones. And I've been working with them for years now. And Deb Essex at Alpine has been like, so when are you going to run the editor on Peter? So she's you know. Uh, sponsorship's important, that sort of thing. And sponsorship's kind of cool because it's a two-way street. They provide me with something, and I love to be able to say, you know, Alpine Air is probably, you know, as far as I've worked, they're the most professional helicopter organization in the state of Alaska. They've been they've actually, been, I'd say not tight... not just Alaska, pretty much anywhere. I've done look, I've done a lot of helicopter tours. You know, I'm one. It's one of the big things I can do in my life or, you know, go here, go that and do that. And, and I got to tell you, we had a blast. It was the nicest people. And by the way, great, great equipment too. I mean, that was the top of the line. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. I like to say you can eat off the floor of their hangar. They yeah. take that good yeah. care of yeah. their equipment and their grounds. Yeah, and just absolutely. nice, absolutely. nice people, just nice people. And you are too, Peter. And I thank you very much for it. I think, look again, folks, Bark Eater Racing, GoFundMe, Peter Reuter, R-U-E, no, R-E-U-T-E-R. So go look him up. And as, as you would say, you're not on Facebook. Where are you at? You're on what? <laughs> you don't call it Facebook. What do you call it? I call it the book face yeah. so, or, or all sorts of others. Like I said, I'm a hillbilly. So, um, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, feel free to buy the public site. So uh, there's there's no no privacy restrictions Pay my site a visit, just kind of check in. They've got some beautiful dogs to look at. So just kind of check in, see what, see what we've got going on up here in Alaska. Well, I appreciate it, Peter, and we wish you the best of luck. And we're going to be cheering from you from the lower 48. And we're going to be tweeting about you. We're going to be following it along the way and doing everything that we can to make you um, a winner. You're already a winner, but uh, we hope you, you just want you to be safe in the race. Cheers. Uh, thanks so much, Jack. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. All right, cheers. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. At the end of every show, I like to talk about the things I learned. I learned a lot. One, you can tell, you know, I love the people I get to interview. You know that. And I, I, I man, I just, this guy is just a, a guy's guy and a great guy. And he's just the nicest man um, one of the nicest men I've ever met. And I, it truly was. I watched him while he worked. I, I like to observe people. But um, I loved a couple of things that he said. You remember when he said, learn each dog on its own merit? <laughs> Don't assume um, engineers are engineers. Don't assume salespeople are salespeople. Don't assume um, a CEO is a CEO. Learn each person, learn each dog on its own merit. And then learn to get the most out of them. I thought that was a great lesson that we learned. And the other one I really liked was trust. You know, do, dogs don't give unconditional love. They really give tw- trust. They get, they, what they do is they grant sincerity, and then based on your reliability and your competency, they'll then give you that love. And that's the way it is with most people, quite frankly, is that we can give them our sincerity of our trust, that we're sincere in what they do, and now we gauge them on reliability and we gauge them on on competency. So that's what I learned today. So, hey, don't forget Peter and his team, Bark Eater Racing. I'm going to go buy everything he's got. I hope you do the same thing, and I hope you'll send a friend a message about that, and let's watch him. 
I hope he wins. And not only that, don't forget, speaking of winning, the only way I win is if you go up and rate this on iTunes or rate this wherever you are listening from on your podcast network, whether it be Play.it or iTunes or anywhere else you're listening. Make sure you tell a friend to listen in to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.